Hey, what's going on? I'm Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren, and Leo, welcome to the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 310. Thank you so much for joining us for this celebration of the very best genre in the world. And if you'd like to watch the video version of our show, you can now do that via Bloody Disgusting TV that's available on Roku, Sling, Vizio, Smartcast, and more. You can check out the on-screen programming guide for showtimes and schedule. Okay, this time around, the world's leading figure and expert in the collecting of rare macabre antiques and oddities, returning guest and friend of the show, Ryan Matthew Cohen. Along with his wife, Regina Marie Cohen, he is the co-founder and curator of the Oddities Flea Market. At time of release, returning to L.A. at the Globe Theater this weekend, March 26th and 27th. You can go to theoddiesfleamarket.com for tickets. Ryan takes you through his collecting origins and his obsession with everything from medical ephemera to the strange and unusual items of natural history. Can an item be imbued with a spirit? We talk dark art and the kind of things you'll be able to haunt your house with at these spectacular Oddities Flea Market events and so much more. Episode 310 with Ryan Matthew Cohen starts now. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. All right, here we go. Joining Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studios. Returning guest to the show, along with his wife, Regina. They are the premier curators, collectors, and experts on strange and unusual antiquities. They turn their unique skills into the heart of a global community. Through this work, they are the purveyors of a tangible experience the likes of none other and are a wonderful example of living one's passion and the power of surrounding yourself with things that inspire and provoke you, an experience they strive to make you a part of in new and exciting ways every day. Through his love of things like medical ephemera and natural history, he cemented himself as a leader in New York's collector community. He was a regular part of Science Channel's TV show Oddities, co-owned a popular Lower East Side clothing store in the scene. He became a student of the craft and methods of the Victorian era, earning him accolades in the world of fine art. And along with his wife, bringing their world to you through adventures and workshops that are put together in ways that ignite the dreamer inside of you. At time of release, one of... Those world-famous events, they're here in L.A. this weekend. The Oddities Flea Market, March 26th and 27th at the Globe Theater. We are honored to welcome back Ryan Cohen. Yeah. I'm honored. And that was beautifully said. Thank you so much. <laughs> there were so many compliments. Well, thank you. Well-deserved. What you guys do is insane, man. We live on your Instagram page. Oh, thank you. You know, I've actually, for the first time in probably like two years, I've been paying attention to it again. <laughs> really? I'm not talking necessarily about the Oddities Flea Market one, just my own personal one. And I sometimes have to step back and go like, all right, I'm like desensitized to all this stuff. But the rest of the world isn't. So I, I have really have to like look through my collection because there's a lot in our home. Pretty much everywhere. Like you guys. Now, now I know I've seen your collection for the first time. You go through things and you're like, eh, I've lived with this thing for 20 years. It's not that interesting to me anymore. Sure, sure. But someone seeing it for the first time could see it and go, oh, my God, I've never seen one of these in person. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. So I've decided to go piece by piece 
It's going to take me a lifetime. And I'm, I'm starting to show each piece on its own and tell a little bit of history of it. Right. You know, well, that's bad. Does that, does that make you appreciate your own collection even more so now? It does actually. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's kind of like reignited my interest in certain things or perhaps I'll, I'll put a picture up and, and say, Oh my God, this thing has a crack in it. And so I'll, I'll take it down to my studio and oftentimes I'll, I'll start to restore a piece that I haven't touched in 10 years. Yeah. Cause you're going to present it to the world. Right. And then it suddenly becomes this new, um, this new fascinating piece, even for me, even though it's been there for so long. Oh, that's really, really interesting. That said, I've always been curious about this. You've been doing the online auctions too. Yeah. And doing these, these, you know, the oddities flea market. How do you decide what you hold on to and what you sell? It's really hard. It, it, it really is a constant struggle because I don't really like to get rid of anything. Yeah. So usually if I get rid of something, it's because I already have one and I might have the slightly better version or I have another version that's like slightly more unique to me or like, I, I don't like to have just one of anything. I'd like to have like one or two. Have yeah. you ever sold something and then regretted selling it? <laughs> I'm speaking from experience, but have I, you? Yeah. I think every collector has that phenomenon known as like, you know, seller's regret. <sighs> and um, yes, it, it has happened. I find though, if I take it out of my collection, I bring it down to the studio I've already decided that it's not there anymore. So that's one way. And, and I think photographing it or like putting it on Instagram, it helps as well. You know, like, okay, I at least have some kind of footage of it or, you know, I can keep it in my memory, but it's pretty rare that I regret selling something at this, at this point in my career. Cause I have so much. And for anyone who's listening now, who didn't hear the very first appearance that we did with you, how did all this start for you? Just this passion for collecting in general. It's always been. It's always been. And, you know, it's funny. I, I did an interview not too long ago and it, it seemed to like reignite this memory um, from when I was like six or seven or something. And I realized that the collecting started even before then, but with like natural specimens, you know, in, like normal kids would be out kicking a ball around, riding their bike. <laughs> I didn't do any of that. I was like in the woods looking under logs and rocks for salamanders and frogs. And I remember one day I caught like 40 frogs or something and then yeah i collected what do you do now i just like let them go um but that's what i like to do all day it was the act of collecting and like finding as many of this one thing that i could find um so i've always had it's like a disease right yeah, yeah. and you, can we just say that it, yeah, it really, really is similar to a disease yeah well, it's an addict. I guess it's an addiction, right? I mean, we've we've got it in in full spades, right? It's yeah. kind of taken over our lives, right? <laughs> in a good way. Yeah. But still, I, I think right? if you can do something good with it, like yeah. like for me, I, I finally turned it into a thriving business. Right. If I didn't do that, if I was just collecting stuff for the sake of collecting, and it sat and it piled up, um, then I would feel like I had a problem. But I, I'm actually okay with getting rid of things, you know. And I, I like to. I, I like to have something for a period of time, then kind of hand it down to another collector. Now, was there anything that steered your collecting habits in the way of the direction that it's in now when it comes to antiquities and things that are a little macabre by nature, things that are interesting and odd? Like, do you mean like, was there a certain point where I was like, okay, I have to go into this direction. Yeah. I'm like somehow interested in like death more than I was. When sure. I was it's always been. I, I don't know where it stems from. I, you know, I, I don't know if I believe in like past lives, but it's funny. I was talking to a friend today about being extremely claustrophobic. And this has been an affliction I've had since I was very young. 
the people that I've spoken to that are, you know, professionals on this, I guess it's called a therapist. <laughs> um, they always say like, dude, I think that you were buried alive at some point in your life. And that's where the claustrophobia comes from. I don't know if I believe it or not. It's um, very interesting. But perhaps that's where my morbidity stems from. I don't know. I was thinking about this the other day. In terms of stuff of this nature, oddities, strange things, dark art. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know in here in Burbank, we have a store called the Mystic Museum. I, I remember that. when I was love living in Boston, there was a store called Fly Rabbit. That was that kind of stuff. And it, that was in the probably late 90s. Is there anything in your mind that you see? Is, is there a film? Is there a cultural event or anything that took place that was kind of ground zero for the resurgence of this kind of collecting that you can put a finger at? Because it has gotten more popular. Very much so. And, I, I, you know, I'm not tooting my own horn when I say this, but I think Oddities, the show on for Discovery sure. Channel, had a lot to do with it. I think this was something that was brought to, you know, your everyday person that didn't otherwise know about this genre of collecting um, or even that someone could have a business doing this. Right. So it kind of gave everyone the opportunity to be like, oh, I have, you know, grandpappy stuff up in the attic. <laughs> I remember he had this little tiny head. It looked like a human head in a trunk. And he always just kind of joked about it. And then you suddenly realize that you have a shrunken head. And then it's like, oh, is it real? Is it not? You know, and, and then you really delve into the history behind this stuff. So it's exciting. And it's just like anything else. You know, you get a new hobby. Um, it just so happens that, you know, this one existed and a lot of people didn't know about it. Right. You know, I've known it about I've known about it for a long time, well before oddities. You know, I was doing this, you know, as a business when I was 18. So I think that that was part of it. And I think other, you know, shops opened up and it really just brought it to the forefront. And wh- how were you procuring things when you were 18? I was going like everywhere. I was like obsessed with like thrift stores and antique stores. And even at an early age, I we lived in in like the woods, basically. So we had a small town. I was always obsessed with going to antique stores and kind of buying junk, actually. Like I'd buy an old clock. I'd take it apart and put it back together because I wanted to know what made up this thing. So I've always liked early electrics and like early electronics and like early mechanical things like automatons, for instance. I was always fascinated with these things, even before I, I started to actually collect them. You know, if there was a place that had one of these objects, I was just fascinated with it. That's what I wanted to see when I was a kid. So we were at a lot of museums when I, when I was a child with my parents. Did your parents encourage this? I think they did, actually, because the first the first delve into like oddities was actually drawing. Like I was going to go to school to become an anatomical artist. Oh, that's cool. So, you know, I was really studying the human body. And what better way to do that than like look at skeletons and yeah. skulls and, you know, like. We'd find, um, you know, half eaten animals that bears had eaten in the woods. And I would kind of just study that stuff, which could be troubling, I think, to a parent. You're like, what is my son going to become a doctor or a serial killer? <laughs> or is he going to be a serial know. killer? That's, yeah. like, that's like the joke, right? Yeah. And, you know, I didn't become either of those things. I more just became an enthusiast on the subject. And I guess oddities is the best way. It's the best word to use when describing this stuff. It covers a broad uh, spectrum. In terms of just, uh, you know, dissecting things, taking things apart, seeing how things worked. Is there something that stands out in your mind as something that was like a real oh wow moment to you that just you marveled at? Yeah, it's funny. You know, I, I never really thought about that. But when we had to dissect a cat in school, I was like so excited about it. I think once again, the teacher's like, what is wrong with this kid, <laughs> man? I was like looking forward to this day and I ended up getting sick. 
Oh. And so they made me do it digitally. And I was like, I was so crushed, but they didn't have any cats left. But I remember like gearing myself up for this thing. So then they ended up like letting me uh, do a class alone with the teacher. I like stayed after school to do it, which is like unheard of in elementary school. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) What was it about it? You just really wanted to. I wanted to see what the skeleton looked like. Yeah, I, I truly did. But I wanted to like dissect it part for part and like see what made up the body of this particular specimen, which was a cat. And ironically enough, now I teach like cat skeleton articulation classes. I would have never thought it then, but you know, I look back at it now. It's funny. I never really thought about this until you asked me the question, like what was the pivotal moment in which you became sort of obsessed with anatomy? And I think it was that. Oh, wow. I was probably in like third grade or or when do you, when do you dissect a cat? Fourth grade? Jeez. I didn't, (laughs) God, I don't think I dissected a frog till I was like in eighth grade. Oh really? Maybe yeah. fourth and fifth. Really? Yeah, yeah I think it was we like did fourth pig grade. Feet. You did? Well, I went to school in Canada, so yeah. I don't oh know. yeah, you don't dissect was things there. Yeah. <laughs> You're too nice. <laughs> oh, I would love for you to find that teacher that stayed after oh, with you to dissect the cat. I, mean, I, I would have to really think about it. Maybe I could like find old pictures or something and figure it out. And here he is now. Yeah, just look at me now. <laughs> He's probably not alive anymore. He was so, pretty old then. Oh. So what about the inception of uh, oddities? Talk about how the the whole flea market thing came up and the way to start traveling this around. So there really wasn't anything uh, like it at the time. Uh, we're, we're five years old, I think, as of recently. So there there was a thing called the uh, Morbid Anatomy Flea Market. They were throwing these sort of smaller scale markets. And then when they closed, they stopped the flea market and they kind of gave us the torch. And so... Um, we wanted to take the concept of an oddities market of sorts, you know, people selling peculiar out of the ordinary objects and just bring it to a slightly grander scale. So we really like finding the best vendors that were in the business. And that's always been hard. Like the hardest part about our market is finding like really good vendors, people that are on top of their game. Um, but we really wanted to represent each aspect of what we thought oddities was comprised of you know so we it's not just antiques not just taxidermy it's not just home decor it's like things like jewelry and artists that you know consider themselves oddities right inspired um and then even people like we do you know palmistry at these things and you know we have other activations that in in our minds have to do with oddities so you know we threw an event i think it was just a one day event and we didn't know if anyone was going to come to it and it was huge like it was very very popular it was in Brooklyn. So then we decided to throw another one because we got our ass handed to us. It was just we couldn't fit everyone in the venue right. uh, in one day. So we did two days. And it was kind of the same thing. And so we're like, all right, people want to see this. Let's let's keep doing it and see how we can perfect it, um, which, you know, led to doing it in different places. We naturally had to come to Los Angeles being, you know, besides Brooklyn, one of the other bigger cities. And people just really love it here. People love oddities mm-hmm. in California. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do. They do. How far out does the vetting process? Because it sounds like there's a pretty strict vetting process. Everything that is presented here kind of is filtered through the the brand of what you and Regina created, really. How far back do you start looking at vendors and, and considering what you're going to add to the next flea market? Pretty far back. I mean, yeah. we, we have like thousands of people over the years that have applied. Um, and so we really just like go through it. Okay. Is this person going to be good for this show? Maybe they'll work for this show. Where do they live? You know, what do they make? Cause you can't ever have too much of one type of thing in a market yeah. because it becomes redundant. 
you know, it, it really is a vetting process and we're, we take it very seriously. And also I will say this, like the venue is important, right? You can't just throw this. I mean, you know, you can't just throw this in anywhere, right? Sure. Tell us about the, the theater that you chose here in LA. There's quite a history to it too. Sure. So we throw it at the globe theater, which is in downtown Los Angeles. And it's a historic theater. I mean, it's absolutely stunning. All the architecture is completely original, all the lighting. Um, there's a lot of interesting carvings in there. It's sort of gritty. It smells like beer. Like it just, <laughs> it's, it's very dimly lit. You can barely see in there. But it works so perfectly for the Oddities Flea Market. It's just a little rough around the edges, just like all of us. And so <laughs> we, we've stayed there. We've, we've never thrown at least the Los Angeles one anywhere else. Uh, unfortunately, in New York, because of the pandemic, a lot of our venues closed down. So we went from one venue to another one. Those both closed down. Like permanently. Just gone. In fact, one of them closed down. We, we had one booked. We had to like, we had to like chase the guy down to be like, hey man, we have a deposit with you. Wow. Uh, which we got back. But that venue, unfortunately, is uh, no longer in existence. So we're now at the Metropolitan Pavilion. Working with these old theaters, has anything like paranormal happen while you've been there or anything out of the ordinary. I think I saw like a naked drag queen walk behind me. <laughs> then it turns out that it was a naked drag queen. But I was like, oh my God, is this my first haunting? Because you know, sometimes when someone walks behind you, it, yeah, it's, it's like a ghostly image. But it was just a naked drag queen. Oh, no ghost. Well, I mean, I was I was happy that they yeah, were there. Exactly. But I at the same time was like bummed out that I didn't see any spirits. Right, right. I've never seen one. That's, ama- that's amazing that you haven't. Have you? Dealing what you deal with, right? Have you seen one? Never. I think we'd both like shit our pants if we saw one, but I, you know, I don't know. Okay. This is going to sound a little morbid. So when I was seven, my mom passed away and then I think it was because I was so little when it was after she had died. Like, I don't know if I was dreaming, but I felt like. I saw her come to my room in she was wearing like a pink jumpsuit. That's what she was buried in. And I remember seeing her standing at my door, but then her eyes turned red. So I don't know. It must have been like my imagination, like a waking dream or something. Yeah. Or I must have been like really scared because I was seven (laughs) and like something really traumatic. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, was that? I don't know. Did she come to you? And even in a dream, I think that's possible. I think like I I remember being on my bed, like closing my eyes and like opening and waiting for her to go away because I was scared. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like a happy thing. It was just a, a scary thing. And then eventually when I opened my eyes, there was nothing there. But I just like I could feel like someone was coming down the hall And then I looked, I got out of my covers and I looked and then the door was open and then I saw her standing there just staring at me. And then was the door open when you woke up? The door was open. But when I went to bed, I believe it was closed. Right. That's why I asked. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, my, you know, my aunt who adopted me, who was turned out to be my mom. My adoptive mom could have opened the door to check on me. I don't know. Yeah. But it it was closed before. And then it just, I don't know. I always wonder if that was like the ghost of her or I was just 
traumatized. Yeah. Yeah. Do do you find that people ask you guys? Because you have a a pretty extensive collection, I would say. I don't even think pretty extensive is a way to put it. You're at the top of your game as far as what you guys collect. I've seen a lot of collections. I'd say it's probably the finest one I've seen. Oh, wow. That means a lot. Wow. That's so nice coming from you. People do ask, though. And I mean, like, for instance, like the house is not the house that we're in right now. It it might have an old, uh, I don't know, sheen to it on the inside, but it's not an old house. But still, people do ask. They, I don't know why. They get the vibe, right? Well, it's not necessarily the house. It's the objects sure. inside of the house. Right. And I, people ask me constantly. It's like the first thing if a new person is coming into my home. Have you seen ghosts? Is that haunted? Is yeah. this haunted? Yeah, yeah. And I've never seen anything. Wow. And I, I talk about it a lot because I want to be haunted more than any other human in this world. I do. I, I need to see a haunting. And nothing, nothing is nothing. attached itself to it because and you're dealing with a lot of objects that pertain to, to death, right? One thousand percent. Yeah, I would say like a good 70 percent of my collection. Um, it had to do with some grisly, morbid death. Wow. Is there one thing in particular that you think I mean, you figure would be haunted? Yes, like everything. Really? Like, not <laughs> not one, thing, one like, thing. You know, something that was like, I don't know, related to a murder or something like that. You know, yes. Something. I mean, there's so many things. I, wow. I collect headhunted skulls. Wow. If there was anything that would have trapped <laughs> yeah. the spirit of the dead inside of it, it would be that. And I, I can't, for the life of me, get haunted. So does this make you a non-believer? It makes me a receptive believer. Okay. So I'm totally open. To spirits visiting me. In fact, I welcome them. Spirits, if you're listening right now, <laughs> come he to is me. Welcome <laughs> I mean, have you like, how about like antique Ouija boards and stuff like that? Do you mess with that uh, stuff? I don't mess with those. You don't mess with And them. I don't mess with them because I, um, I'm afraid of them. I mess with them because it's just not really my thing. Got it. Have I bought and sold them many times? Wow. Yeah. And I've actually, I've obtained some very rare ones. Um, but there's, there's all these like, Sub communities of people that specifically deal with that stuff. Yeah. So don't really get involved. I like to have stuff that nobody else has. That's kind of like my mantra when it comes to collecting. Right, right. So do you know of people who actually collect specifically who go seeking out haunted objects? Yes. Yeah. Now there's many people that do. At the oddities thing, is there people who actually procure uh, and and sell haunted objects? As far as people that are there selling? Yeah, I think there's some stuff there. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, they may have a piece or two, but there are collectors that that's all they collect. I know Zach Baggins is very interested right. in that stuff. He has the museum. Um, I'm very good friends with Steve Gonsalves from Ghost Nation. He actually came over not too long ago. And the first thing I asked him was like, come on, man, do you feel anything? Do you see anything? And that's not necessarily his specialty to right. go, like right. find hauntings, <laughs> but he can go to a place that has had a haunting. And sometimes he can, you know, pick up on that stuff. Um, but no, I, I've had other people that have come into my house and say, oh, I'm catching a feeling. Uh, but nobody's actually seen anything. Yeah, They just interesting. tend to find uh, some level of energy there. But yeah, I me. would imagine. Yeah, the energy. Th- and that's something I think that is perceived when you have something that is antique, something that's been held or used by a lot of people. A lot of people go to that piano right behind you. It's like a hundred year old Victorian piano. And it's very like an intimate possession of someone right someone obviously sat at that probably learned how to play maybe their kids learned how to play a lot of attention went into that object and i do think that objects do retain energy i, I believe that listen i've picked up pieces before and I've, I've felt kind of off about them right for whatever reason that might be 
could be that it's dirty or it smells kind of strange, but I've never had like an object give me any specific energy. I've been to like old buildings that made me feel a little strange. Yeah. But I think that was this weird preconceived notion that I was supposed to feel that way. Right. Or that yeah. someone else had said that it was haunted. So right. it's like the power of suggestion. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and so I think I've made myself like look for haunted energy, but I've never seen it. Have you heard any stories of people either close to you or customers who've had objects that they believe to be haunted or? Well, I think we were just speaking about Guillermo del Toro. Um, I remember one time I, uh, I texted him. I said, Hey man, I have this amazing Egyptian mummy hand. And he said, hell no, I don't mess with those things. You know, I had one and you know, it, it gave me, it, I think it was haunted. So I got rid of it immediately. And I know a couple other people like that have obtained. Um, and I have to say like obtained very expensive antiques that they got rid of because they actually felt haunted by them. Nothing specifically for me. I joke about it sometimes in my auctions. I'm yeah. Like, this is definitely <laughs> because it looks like it should right. be. Yeah. Once again, that's this preconceived notion that this, this thing that looks this way should be haunted. Yeah. Yeah. John Davis. We just recently talked with Jonathan Davis from porn and he's, he's big into that, right? He yeah. was like, he looks for stuff that he thinks is haunted from antique stores and surrounds himself with it, inspires him. That makes sense. And I know he collects a lot of like religious iconography, right? Which should be haunted. And I have a lot of that in, in my collection. I actually just found out something interesting about my new home. I, I moved to Connecticut. For, yeah, I wanted to talk about I think you guys were, were you guys just about to move when we last spoke to you? I think probably we were, tail end in 2019. Yeah, we were tossing the idea yes. around and we just didn't know where to go. We actually, we spoke about moving to Los Angeles and I think you and I discussed it. Didn't we discuss that? I think we might have. Yeah. And we just ended up, you know, I think the pandemic kind of like gave us a swift kick in the behind to just move on. I spent 23 years in, in the city and I, wow. I feel like I have PTSD from it. How long in that one apartment that you were in that it was at Greenpoint? Was that I it? lived in Greenpoint for a good 14 years. Wow. So that was like my longest apartment. Um, but when Regina moved in, it was just too small for us. So we ended up moving to a place called Carroll Gardens, okay. which is right next to Park Slope. A lot of people know that area. And that was great. We had three floors. Wow. But then the pandemic happened. Yeah. And then we had already been kind of like looking at other uh, areas because we just needed space. At the end of the day, I found myself leaving the city to go find antiques elsewhere. So it's like, why don't I just go to the source? If like, my biggest problem is space, go to a place where you have more space. Yeah. It made a lot of sense. And we're in close proximity to the city. So we can still go. It's about 50 miles or so. Tell us about the house. You got a beautiful estate out there, right? So we bought the house that nobody in our town wanted. The house was sort of weird. You know, it's from 1876, I believe. Wow. <clears throat> and um, it has a chapel on the property. That's amazing. And I found out a little bit about the chapel. It's actually a boathouse. Uh, and it used to be located at a different part of the town. And when they built the um, the parking lot that's in back of it that would have gone to the waterway. Yeah. They got rid of this thing. So they probably auctioned it off. And whoever lived on my property at the time in the 50s bought this property and it was moved over there. And it looks like a chapel. It's, it has about 20 foot ceilings when you walk. It's kind of like I was I, I was uh, compare it to Bugs Bunny's palace. Remember Bugs <laughs> Bunny had this little hole and it just looked like a hole in the ground. Yeah, and yeah, it went going, in and he had all these riches exactly. and had like 100 that. foot ceilings. Well, <laughs> this chapel is kind of like that. You know, it looks a little deceiving from the outside. It's kind of small looking. But then when you walk in, it's like this huge peak ceiling. Um, you know, we're, we're looking to fully restore it. I need to find a TV show 
that can come in and like really bring this thing. Yeah, out. that's yeah. what you need to do. Because I so want to cool. document the process of it. Yeah. Because it, it has really, really good bones. Uh, and it's the only part of our property so far that we haven't done anything to. In fact, it's just filled with like spillover collection right now. Man, that sounds amazing. The Boo Crew will be right back. Houses are alive. If we're quiet, if we listen, we can hear houses breathe. We say haunted, but we mean the house has gone insane. From the imagination of Stephen King comes a disturbing new epic tale. There are rumors that you're planning a scientific investigation of Rose Red this summer, a sort of psychic field trip. Is that true? For Professor Joyce Reardon. My goal is modest. A single twitch. It's time to stop the silliness. The truth is out there. When I come back from Rose Red with proof, you... It's sleaze. It's a spit in the eye of rational thought. Now, she has assembled a team of gifted psychics. Hello, are, are you the group? I think we're ready. To unravel the secret. Waking up Rose Red is not a good idea. Rose Red is a dangerous place. That was built to last. Rose Red was built by John P. Rimbauer. What makes Rose Red one of the world's most fascinating psychic artifacts is that after 1950, Rose Red grew on its own. Follow me and prepare to be amazed. It's so wild, like something in a funhouse. The important thing is not to go off wandering. Where's Annie? You wanted this place to wake up. I'd say you've been successful. If some houses are bored bad... Annie, what is it? I insist you stay a little longer. This one... We shouldn't be here! It's feeding off us. ...was created. It's stuck again. She means to have her proof, even if someone has to die for her to get it. In hell. Stephen King's Rose Red. Anyone who's listening right now, if you go on their Instagram at Ryan's or, or Oddity's Flea Market Instagram, you can you can take a look at what the apartments have looked like over the years and now what the house looks like. These are it's like art living art projects, really, is what they are. And I mean your past apartments, I can't even imagine the work that went into curating your collection and putting it in the way that you do in these apartments and having to disassemble it. And bring it all to this new house. What was that like for you? It sucked. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that was, I think, one of the biggest reasons why we didn't move very frequently. Sure. You know, and I didn't just have like an apartment. I always had storage units. I had a separate studio. I had like other places that I would work. Like I had a lot going on in the city. So making that that decision to move was a very difficult and specific one. And so when we started looking in Connecticut, we we had I had found this house before we even talked about moving it was on the market for a, a few months and this once again pre-pandemic nobody really knew if the prices of homes were going to go through the roof or tank yeah so things were either going for really high prices or they were actually going way under market value 
And so this, there was this one weird kind of dilapidated house. And I remember I drove out there with Regina one time and she looked at this place and started crying. And she was like, we're never going to live there. And it, it was like this emotional uh, reaction to it. Sure. Whereas I could see immediately like, okay, this is what I do. I do this, I do this. And I do the other thing. And then that would be my studio. Cause there's also, also a cottage on the property. Oh my God. So there's a cottage, a chapel, and then the main house. And so obviously the main house is going to house, you know, the major part of the collection. The church was going to be maybe like a small event space with some more collection. And then maybe the little cottage would be my studio. But then we realized that there was a whole nother wing to the under section of the home. So that became my studio. We have this church that we don't know what to do with. And now the cottage we're kind of like renovating for like friends that stay over. Wow. So cool. So it was this weird place. And I think a lot of people didn't want it because the kitchen is kind of small. And a lot of families live in the town. Um, the town is cool. It's, it's called Westport, Connecticut. And it's right on the water. So you have all this ocean right there. But there's a lot of just kind of like shishi mansions. And um, there's some really beautiful Victorian houses there. But this was the only house like this, really. Just kind of rough around the edges. Victorian and Italianate. And it's just perfect for us. People, when they walk in, they're like, this house was built for you. Wow. It was um, meant to be. But what we found out recently was that it actually used to belong to the deacon of the church that happens to be in our town. Oh, interesting. I just found this out like literally two weeks ago. And so he used to live there. And there's a cemetery that's from the 18th century that's right down the street from us. And that's part of the church, which we never knew either. Part of the church on your part of the chapel on your property? No, there's a separate church. The chapel never really had anything to do with this space. God. But I did find out that Hayden Sterling the actor used to live there. Wow. That's but when it was at the other property. Oh my God. So, you know, like it what the fun part has been finding the exact history. Of right. Yeah. I mean, it goes back in the 1800s. That's and you're telling me that's not haunted. <laughs> no, I, I, I think it probably is. Haunted. Right. But you haven't had an experience. But I haven't had an experience, but I'm, I'm so receptive to it that yeah. I find myself talking about it with everyone around. Like, yeah. Oh, I'm waiting for a hunt and there's got to be a haunting here. You know, it's got like a really creepy basement. It's got a big boiler that makes funny noises. I mean, man, it got, sounds like a dream. It sounds amazing. It has all of it has like the perfect recipe for a haunting. Well, I'll, I'll ask this. What has that done to you and Regina's creativity? Having this giant palette to play with. It's been great. It's made us go broke. Right. Know? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. We know what that's like. Yeah. There's like always a problem with it. You know, sure. this thing breaks, you know, oh, cool. We got to put a new roof on the place. Yeah. But, you know, we expected all this stuff. Yeah. Um, and I, I've loved the process of taking each room and putting my touch and Regina's touch onto it. Um, and so that's been the most exciting aspect. And then having space, you know, being able to like take my arms and I, I'm, if you could see me right now, I have them out. I can do this and move and not knock. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the apartment was stacked, but uh, there was something, to, something awesome and charming about also how that apartment was set up too, where it's so much stuff that I would imagine standing in there where you just be washed with, you know, a, a vibe inspiration, I would think, you know, as well. You know, what's funny is that apartment in Brooklyn, the first one that we were discussing, I almost had more stuff in that apartment than I do in my house. Interesting. Yeah, but like, you know, now I have room for furniture and stuff. Yeah. But that apartment had so much collection and I was so strategic about. Yeah, I think that's probably what there. it is, right? You're there for so long. You can figure out 
I went from like floor to ceiling. Yeah. So I'd get a new piece and then you have to just kind of like figure out how to like trickle it in and make it make sense. So it's this constant like <laughs> game of Tetris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. I just bought this, you know, like elephants, well, not an elephant skull, but like a hippo skull. I remember when I got that. I'm like, where the fuck am I putting this? <laughs> but there's always space to put something somewhere. Oh, yeah, yeah. You guys know that. Yeah, well, we were talking so we were talking about that, about what to do when you run out of space and you're a collector. Yeah. Well, what do you think is the solution to that? I mean, we were saying selling is never an option we've tried we've sold items in the past i mean and first of all just to give you a perspective most of the collection is sitting in boxes in our bedroom still because of exactly what you're talking about running out of space so all that we're thinking of is it's kind of a daydream that keeps us going motivated day to day let's do what we can do to earn the funds to build on to the house and that's kind of a you know, an inspirational goal for us. Sure. Because when we do sell things, it's traumatic. We think we can do it. We try it. And then we regret it instantly. (laughs) Well, you have to be strategic about what you're selling. Sure. If you're going to miss it, don't sell it. Right. If it really plays a pivotal role to the story of your collecting, don't sell it. You'll never get again. Uh, I'd say that I actually just purchased the biggest collection of probably my career outside of like the house of wax collection. Um, a colleague of mine had passed away recently and um, I used to sell to him all the time. And when he passed away, I found out about the collection. You know, I started speaking with the family. I actually knew them and I ended up purchasing everything. And this guy was, he was a hoarder, but he hoarded really, really good stuff. I mean, some of the best antiques that I've seen. Wow. Um, and he became obsessed with oddities and early lighting and kind of, everything that kind of goes along with this genre. And when I went to the collection, I found out that about 25% I had sold to him. No way. Getting everything back. Yeah. Wow. I feel with like us, if we buy it to begin with, we're not going to want to get rid of it. Right. Yeah. Like if we make that decision to purchase something, that it's going to be hard to yeah. Get at that rid point, of. as soon as we buy it, it becomes like a part. I don't know. It's weird, right? It's like entering a relationship or something, right? It's <laughs> yeah. it's a weird thing. It's a weird thing. But I, I'm sure you know. I'm sure you know what that's like. I do, uh, and I found that as a collector in general, I'm sure you guys can relate to this. The type of thing that you collect evolves over a period of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's one way that it makes yeah. it easier to get rid of. Right. Things. So you might fine tune your eye, or you know, you you might buy a piece that springs you to get interested in this other thing. And that, that happens to me all the time. So I like buy something. I actually got a movie prop recently. Oh, it was from, um, uh, red wolf. Okay. Stephen King. Red rose. Yeah. I think it's yeah. red rose. It was red rose. Yeah. And it's an yeah. animatronic Ooh. that was used and I'll, I'll show it to you. And actually it's on my Instagram. If you go to Ryan Matthew Cohen on my Instagram, I have this animatronic and the mouth is moving, but it's the internal structure. Oh, of an animatronic head. That's cool. And so you can see all the wires and like the little gears. And it's it's sort of like a modern version of an automaton. Wow. That is really cool. Yeah. We started getting into, was it Thomas Kuntz? Oh, I love. love yeah, yeah, yeah. Love his artwork. Stuff and I think insane. he's probably one of the best automaton makers of today. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know of many other, other than him that use that old style, right? The traditional yeah. methods. My dream is to own one of those one day. 
Yeah, it's a lofty goal. He, <laughs> he did some goal. of our earlier markets, and I think he just got too uh, busy doing like movies and other yeah. such things. Uh, I also don't know that he produces a ton of work because sure. it takes so long. It right? takes an incredibly long time. Yeah. Um, but I, oh, yeah, he's he's like one of my favorite people. He's mm. here, I think, right? Yeah, he's in L.A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's sitting in a diner drawing his uh, ins- insanely <laughs> complex creations. I, I can picture that. Yeah. That's where he should be. Yeah, exactly. So what do you get? What do you get from? I, I mean, I know what we get from our collecting. What do you get from yours? It's just like this drive for me. Um, and I have always had it. But it really is kind of like having a drug addiction. It's really the thrill of the chase when you're looking for something specific. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm going through something funny right now. I, I bought a um, an orrery, just like an early form of a planetarium. Oh wow! And I got this great one, and they're 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 pretty rare. I mean, you can find them sometimes. They'll pop up at auction, but I found a really nice early one. But it's missing this one thing. <laughs> There's like a little tiny world globe. Um, it's like three inches, but it was made in the 19th century. So like. You're the odds of finding this little three inch globe are very, very slim. So like I've devoted the past three weeks to finding this globe. Wow. And what does your searches look like? Are you phoning people? Are you estate yeah, sales? Like how do you. Yeah. You, you have to always go to people that specialize in this stuff. Yeah. That's the best way. I always just seem to find it though. Well, I mean, I, again, I know what that's like as a collector yeah. too, right? If you're, if you're attuning your energies to finding something in particular, chances are you know, you'll be more receptive to those energies coming back to you and end up with the thing, right? Yeah. I try to know people in kind of like every facet of my business. So there's one guy that kind of like deals in paintings or restoring things or whatever. Um, You know, I like my Rolodex is very important to me. Now, what do you get out of sharing all this stuff with people and doing things like the Oddities Flea Market and, you know, taking it to the people who, who are also out there enjoying it? I just always wanted community. Yeah. You know, and I, I think I always struggled with it when I was younger. I was like the fr- like I was like the king of the freaks in, in my in my in my school. And I kind of feel like I'm now the king of the freaks in my genre. <laughs> so nothing's really changed. It's, I'm just doing it in a different way. Um, but I love the sense of community that we have. Yeah. Like minded people that love doing this. And I love talking with people about it, especially at the markets. So I have this huge room of people that also want to discuss this stuff and talk about like, oh, I just got this display. Like, what do you think about it? And I, you know, I just find that like a really fun, um, great way to spend my time. I'm glad other people like it as well. So we're going to be airing this just before and probably the weekend of the the upcoming oddities market. So is there anything at this particular one here in L.A. this weekend that you're particularly excited about or that you'd love people to to check out? As far as vendors are concerned, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's so many of them at this particular one. And yeah. we actually at this one have a lot of new vendors that we've never worked with. Oh, cool. So there's some artists that I'm definitely going to spend some of my money on. My friend Dead Skull, you might know him from Big Brother. He's a huge dealer and collector now. We've become really good friends. Um, he has a lot of really cool, like original oddities, you know, skulls and weird old uh, like prescriptions of things and apothecary. You know, I, I always look for that kind of stuff. Um, we have a really cool vendor called United United Society of Sin. Oh, cool. Ooh. So even if you didn't buy anything from them, they have a really cool name. <laughs> <laughs> Do they have like bags with that printed on it? I hope so. If they, they don't, should. I'm going to talk to them about marketing. Yeah. Oh, and then there's there's um, there's a vendor that I love called Iba. 
Okay. And she only deals in prosthetic eyes. Oh, cool. That's like, that's her focus. I didn't mean to say that, but (laughs) her whole, and she's like an obsessive collector of early prosthetic eyes. She has thousands of them. I don't even have four in my collection. She has thousands. Um, So she sells those, but she also makes really cool jewelry out of them. Oh, that's fascinating. And then we have like Memento Mori LA. They're a store that's actually here. They're in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. They have really, really cool oddities as well. So I always shop with them as well. And then I noticed, so this time around you're doing classes and workshops. Is that something that you strive to do every time you do one of these things or is this a new? Uh, Yeah, we usually try to um, incorporate those if we can. Mm -hmm. Uh, And at this one, we have some really cool uh, classes outside of mine. I'm teaching a, a cat skeleton articulation class. So what would that entail? That entails taking. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Look at this. This is amazing. Focus now. <laughs> it's like a Laurel and Hardy skit. Um, so I provide a genuine cat skeleton and it's completely taken apart. And we go through the process of putting it back together. And so I take the student through each step that needs to happen. You know, this leg bone is connected to the pelvis. The pelvis is connected to the vertebrae and so on and so forth. Until you create a full, complete, articulated cat skeleton. Wow, it's your third grade dream. Come back. <laughs> I'm so happy that you mentioned that because I, I that that memory hasn't come up ever in a, in conversation. Interesting. Not since I was probably you know like preteen or something. Yeah, yeah. Teenager. Wow. So what are what are some of the other classes and workshops that are going? Uh, on one of the other classes is anatomy and chocolate. What? So what's really cool about this class is the teacher, Annabelle, she works with chocolate, and like with cakes and things. And so she's taking a chocolate mold in the shape of an anatomical eclerche head. <laughs> and you're, you're basically putting like all the muscle tone, the nerves, veins and arteries onto it until you make this complete anatomical head. It's insane. It's insane. And I would love to take the class, but I'm teaching. Yeah. But I would have signed up for this thing in a heartbeat. Oh my God. That sounds insane. So then we have, um, we have bug pinning class. Um, so that one's cool. And then she's actually going to teach you how to like crystallize an insect. So you put like little gems on it and stuff. They look amazing. And then we have scientific woman who is one of our vendors at the oddities flea market. And she's going to teach you how to, she has this weird mummification process that I don't even know how she does it. It's sort of like the process of plastination. Yeah. Have you ever seen the bodies exhibit? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We took our kids. They were traumatized. They cried. <laughs> well, I don't know why. Well, Scarlett was, right? Yeah. She was. She, she was. It's a little shocking. But then again, how are they shocked outside of this house? Right. Your house looks <laughs> like the bodies exhibit. <laughs> Except they're real. I guess you yeah, know, maybe if they know that. The fact. real factor, I think, just blew it. I think they were fine until. How old was Scarlett? I don't Probably remember. like seven, and she read like, "Oh, this was a person," and she was like, "Wait." Yeah, I was halfway through the exhibit. She's like, "Wait, these this are, are real like, people? What? What?" And he was, "Where did they get them?" And like, there were so many questions. Like, yeah, I was exhausted. Yeah, she, she burst into tears. I remember. I was like, oh, "Whoa!" No. Was it your explanation? I don't think so. I think she she read a card or something on right during yeah. the exhibit, and then it was like, "No, well, well." It, I think I like, uh, did I try and cover? Well, you know, I don't know if they're real. Yeah, I, yeah, you yeah. know, that kind of, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't cut it though. I love when kids come through my collection. 
So, you know, we, we I have like a little niece, for instance. Yeah. And she's, I think, six or seven. Um, so whenever she comes over to the house, she loves natural history. So she can like, I'll, I'll say, oh, this is a blah, blah, blah bird. She's like, no, it isn't. And she knows <laughs> like the scientific name for it. Um, because, you know, kids learn a lot differently than when we went to school. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So she's she's like a wealth of knowledge. She comes through and she knows everything. Are you texting our kids right now? Uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> I was like, they knew that's what it was. If they want to like, come in and talk about plastination, exactly. I can teach them about the process. <laughs> we can build a cat, a dead cat. It's oh. just a vacuum process in which you take the fluids out of the body <laughs> and replace them with plastic. It's fun. It's like Legos. Exactly. They'll, they'll love it. I feel like my breast milk jewelry person would be someone. Oh, that yeah. Would be I'm sorry. What? So. There's a lady who makes the most beautiful jewelry out of breast milk. Yes, I remember and I this. sent her my breast milk, and she made it almost looks like an ivy rose. It's incredibly like, detailed. Yeah, it's so cool. So she takes women's breast milk and turns them into all kinds of really cool jewelry. Can you give her my email? I, I mean, she sounds like a do. prime candidate for the oddity. Oh, oh yeah, Come yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, like, she has like orders like crazy. I had to wait so long. But the cool thing is she vi- like films herself make because I was like, oh, how do you know it's your breast milk? She's like, this is how brother. Right. You yeah. know, I was like, how do you know? Or is, is it really made from breast milk? Because it doesn't look like it looks like it's made like from a, a pearl or something. It's a, ve- yeah. it's a very interesting like look and, and feel to the jewelry. But yeah, sure. She takes like your name on the on the bag. You yeah, know, you I send a bag. bag wow, puts it writing. in. Yeah, it looks like it looks like she's cooking meth or something, right? Like the process looks like that because you're like, it looks like she's cooking it. Yeah, right. Yeah, but she molds it into all these beautiful things. Yeah, and like she'll put she'll put like people's ashes in in the jewelry or like locks of in hair. with the breast milk. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Did you do that? You no, just did the breast no, milk. No, I just did the breast milk. Yeah. Hmm. There you go. There There's you go. something for everyone. There is. There there I, is. Say that, <laughs> I find myself saying that very frequently. <laughs> yeah, there is something imagine. out there for anybody. I can only imagine. And boy, do I deal with that on a regular basis, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes when you're buying a collection, like, you just buy everything. Yeah. And then you figure out what to do with it later. You know, you cherry pick the pieces that you like. You cherry pick the pieces that are going to go for sale. And then there's everything else. And it can be a pretty broad spectrum. Yeah, I could imagine you finding things that you never knew existed, too, in the in the process. You know, in this last huge collection that I was just talking about, um, there was like boxes of things that I didn't think necessarily had to do with one another. Yeah. And they found out later, oh, man, this thing's like missing like four screws. And I realized that I had them. Oh, they interesting. They were totally separate from that piece. Yeah. They were just like in a bag somewhere. Wow. That's a really fun way to, uh, I mean, as far as collecting goes, that's got to be so fun. It you feel like, like Indiana Jones piecing all that stuff together. Exactly. Yeah. And I kind of treated this collection like that. Yeah. And I said, don't throw anything out. I mean, I took out like paper towels. I had to take everything that was part of the deal. You know, I paid X amount of dollars and guess what? Like, there will be nothing left in this room when I'm done with it. So it was like the good, the good, the bad and the ugly when it came to dealing with this. And I've done that a lot, you know, where I said, look, I'll be your service. You know, I'll, I'll buy everything, but I'll also kind of like clean it out. You never know what you're going to find. Well, as we come to an end here, I wanted to ask about just the future of what you and Regina are doing with this. Is there any plans outside of the flea markets and any other ways that you're, 
plotting and planning to bring us into your world even more? Yeah, I mean, I think there's probably a TV show in our future. Mm. Uh, we just have to find the right fit. But there's so many people that want to know the history behind each object. You know, there's only so many things that I can show on Instagram or so many words that can be displayed on there. So I really want to try to find the time and like the right resource to share my knowledge and like my stories with people, because these pieces are fascinating. And half of the fun with collecting each of these things is being able to either tell the story, tell my story or trace the history. Mm. Because there's there's a lot to be said about something, you, you, you know, you go, you take all this time to find it, but then trying to figure out where it came from. That's the fun part. Sometimes you have provenance, sometimes you don't. So sharing the history of this stuff would be my biggest pleasure in life. Mm. I would love to see like a VR version of like, you know, someone's put, collection of like, <clears throat> yeah, or putting together a cat, like taking those yeah. little, our kids are really into VR right now, taking yeah. those little things and putting together a oh, cat interesting. Or yeah. holding a skull or, you know, there's so many neat things like taking a virtual class. Yeah, I did those uh, frequently during the pandemic when I couldn't do physical classes. I was doing virtual classes. Wow. So I was teaching people how to put together cat skeletons um, through Zoom. Wow. Was the Oddities auction born through the pandemic or was that something? 100%. Yeah. I never had the intention of doing an auction. You know, I never could like put so many things together. But because we were moving and because I had so much stock from not doing the markets. Yeah. I had a treasure trove of things for sale. And so we, we started doing it and it kind of created this, um, this community. It was keeping the community together in my mind. Sure. Cause now you could just watch, you could hang out with me on a Saturday. My friend dead skull would come and do them with me. And it was just fun. It was like a lighthearted way to spend our time while we we're all kind of freaked out. Um, but then people were really looking for a place to shop and we gave it to them yeah. and it was a great platform to do it. You know, we just casually get together, joke around, but then, you know, sell our goods and ship them out. <laughs> is shipping a concern when it comes to this stuff must be hell um <laughs> well i'm sure as you know yeah the bigger the item the more of a, a hassle it could be but mm-hmm. you know smaller items i'm so accustomed to doing it sure that it's it's not overwhelming in any way yeah yeah and are you still doing the auctions is this still we, something we do them but they're pretty infrequent now mm-hmm. we, we're i think we're we're down to like one a month which is good because then i can really fine-tune my auctions i can really pick stuff and spend time with it so, yeah, those are kind of infrequent, which I apologize for. But, you know, maybe we'll come up with a different type of auction in the future. Right, right. Well, until then, we have things like the flea market back in action, which is good to finally see. It's awesome, man. Did you do one more? There was was there a flea market or was, there was another event that you have done since the pandemic, right? You guys were back for a minute in L.A. Well, we did an oddities flea market in October. Yeah. So that right. was a makeup show. Yeah. You know, we had booked that before the pandemic. And of course, we had to cancel. So when we did that one, it was like wildfire. Yeah. That was like, that was probably our best market that we ever threw. I think people were just so excited. Oh yeah. And then they still are. I mean, even I, I would say even more so now Uh, I would say even more so people are more out and about and ready to start enjoying themselves. No, we're happy to be back here. I mean, I wish Regina was with me today, but she wasn't able to make it. So hi, Regina. (laughs) <laughs> hey regina we'll Miss meet you me. one day <laughs> maybe we'll move in next door uh in connecticut behind the creepy chapel there's a house for sale oh yeah yeah oh, man. Oh. i've there. always toyed with connecticut man oh, i yeah. love the houses he out sure there has. i always talk about it yeah there was a house was it in connecticut i think it was in connecticut a house i was looking at 
uh, from one of my favorite horror movies. It was a Victorian house, and it was from a movie called House of the Devil. Ooh, and uh, yeah, it was a beautiful Victorian house in Connecticut and it was for sale from my favorite horror movie. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, my God, let's do it. Airbnb. Let's, li- let's live in a horror movie prop. Let's do it. No, no. The, Warren, the Warren house was for sale. I think it was what, a year ago? Yeah. I don't know if I'd ever buy. I, well, I know I would never buy a house that was purportedly haunted. No. Would you would you would wouldn't you right? <laughs> You can see my face. (laughs) He'd wait for it. Yeah, exactly. It wouldn't bother me. Right. But I would think about it. Yes. I would think about it. And I think that that thinking about it, knowing that something specific happened, maybe that would freak me out a little bit. Yeah. Like anything that happened, you'd say it was because it was haunted. That's what I had any bad luck. I'd be like, I'm fucking haunted. Honey, I didn't take the trash out. Exactly. It's haunted. (laughs) I can't go. It's dark. Yeah, I would make stuff up like, yeah, oh, I would. always feel sick or something. I must be, this must be haunted. Yeah, <laughs> anything, anything. All right, well, we've kept you so long. It's just been a pleasure talking to you. And uh, hey, man, on behalf of the horror community and the dark arts community, I mean, what you guys do is is so inspiring and we love living vicariously through your collection and we appreciate it so much that you come and share it with us either on Instagram or opportunities to really get involved at these flea market events and classes and all that stuff. And it just means the world to us, man. Thank you for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Hell yeah. Hell Anytime. Yeah. Anytime. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 310. Special thanks to our guest, Ryan Matthew Cohen. We love that dude. The time of release, the Oddities Flea Market lands in LA this weekend, March 26th and 27th at the Globe Theater. If you happen to live in LA or be in town, Oddities Flea Market on Instagram and at Ryan Matthew Cohen. You could also follow at Regina Marie Cohen and live vicariously through their incredible Instagram pages. There's so much to be inspired by, so much wonder to be had with these two incredible, incredible people, artists, and curators. As always, thank you so much for choosing to spend some time with us. Till next time, this is Trev for the Boo Crew saying, sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the bloody disgusting. Podcast Network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network. Home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews. SCP archives. Weekly full cast storytelling. Horror queers. Genre commentary from an LGTBQ perspective. And creepy. For disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.